Rising interest rates and inflation is again the topic of discussion on the Riabu podcast today with Simon Littlewood and me, Mark Lowry. Well, in Australia, we see interest rates rising yet again. Half a percentage point was the most recent uh, increase by the Reserve Bank of Australia just earlier in August. And it takes the overnight cash rate or the the cash rate, as it's called there, to 1.85%. This uh, follows a previous cash uh, rate increase where the RBA hiked interest rates for the first time in 11 years. So that's on the inflation and the interest rate side. But when you talk to businesses, they'll tell you an entirely different story. As far as they're concerned, yes, inflation might be a problem. But the fact is, so is getting paid. And every time the interest rates go up, it makes it harder to pay and get paid. After all, if you've got a loan from a bank that you have to service and it's a variable interest loan, then clearly you're going to have to fork out more for the interest, which means that there's less money in the till to pay your suppliers. Some of the stats uh, coming out uh, of Australia at the moment, fewer than half of big business paid more than 80% of their suppliers by their own agreed payment deadline. So if you're a big business, you've uh, decided you're going to pay somebody within 60 days. Well, only half of them are paying four-fifths of their suppliers by that deadline. And one in three businesses are uh, paying, well, within the 30-day deadline set by the Business Council of Australia. These are among the sort of stats that you see from Australia time and time again. There's a report from Zero Crunch, cash flow challenges facing small business. Nine out of 10 small businesses struggle with negative cash flow at least once a year. Gosh, I guess we can all relate to that. 92% of small businesses experienced at least one month in 2021. For 20%, it lasted more than six months. And the Small Business Loans Australia survey. One in three SMEs expect their businesses to survive less than six months if there was a recession. One in seven say they wouldn't uh, survive a recession at all. Gosh, Simon, you know, that's a pretty bleak picture, but perhaps one that we've gotten used to in many countries. Well, I I think on the positive side, over the last couple of years, we've discussed a number of fairly dire prognostications in terms of how many SMEs are going to go bankrupt. And none of that has actually happened yet. We've seen increases in bankruptcy, but we've not seen the kind of wholesale collapse of SMEs either in Singapore or Australia or anywhere that has been widely, very widely reported. But as you alluded in the beginning of your your introduction, 1.85% base rate in Australia, the hawks are saying it might go up to three. I mean, that's a huge increase. So we're talking about very hefty increases, which, as you say, are going to increase the cost of borrowing. What's sad in all this is that big enterprises have the clout to decide to pay people late. And they can offset any cash flow difficulties they have by doing that. Small enterprises, SMEs, usually don't have that option. They simply don't have the market share. They don't have the clout. They don't have the buying power. So this is a very unequal situation. And it therefore is important that there is a special consideration given to SMEs. And I know you're you're Mm. a big fan of the government's Business Council of Australia saying 30 days. Um, the UK government's tried something similar. Mm-hmm. In, in payment code. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We know it's very widely flouted by large companies. Um, they like the kudos of appearing to be SME friendly. But, you know, given that the C-level executives of most listed companies these days are remunerated substantially by share price and share price is driven very much by free cash flow, then um, when it comes to the crunch, at the end of the month, they want their free cash flow to look good, whatever promises may have been made as far as SMEs are concerned. And that's behavior we've seen over and over again in yes. Australia and the UK. And Which is why a number of companies have been ditched from the prompt payment code, as we discussed previously. Well, reported. I don't know whether they've been ditched or just reported for bad behavior. They've been kind of sat in the naughty chair 
Uh, but the- <laughs> At the very least. <laughs> yes. And so they should have been. And it's time to even the playing field, Simon, because while it's correct that you say if you're a small and medium enterprise, you're a small supplier to a large multinational, romping on into your customer's office, slamming your fist on the table and demanding prompt payment is highly unlikely to win you more orders, is it? Absolutely not. I mean, here in Singapore, you know, Mark's too modest to remind you, but here in Singapore, <laughs> um, Riabu, you know, be first in line to get paid. We pioneered the prompt payment code in the sense that we created pledge to pay. And we invited large companies to commit to paying SMEs here in Singapore within 30 days or less. And we had some pretty large companies sign up to that. I wouldn't say we'd got as much traction as we'd hoped, but we're doing our bit. And I'm hopeful perhaps we should have another go at that, Mark, given where we are now and given what we're hearing. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But, you know, in the short term, given that interest rates are on the rise in many countries, in fact, the number of companies, uh, countries rather, that are lowering interest rates is so small that you sometimes see them reported in the news as something remarkable. In that sort of environment, what else can you do but to keep following up with your customers and making those proactive service calls that you read about on the Riabu website and saying, hey, you know, we agreed to a certain payment term, now pay up? Well, um, you know, there are a number of things that, that we can do. You and I wrote a book called Let the Cash Flow. And one of the things that we argue in that book is that Very often when you're paid late by a customer, it's because you provide an excuse for them to pay you late by either not invoicing promptly or not invoicing accurately or not sufficiently clearly defining your terms or whatever. So first of all, make sure that you create a clean transaction and that you have very clear agreements with your customers and what their expectations are in terms of paperwork and so on and so forth. Having said all that, you know, there are customers who are impecunious and might not be able to pay you and you have to understand who they are and you have to make a decision. If you're genuinely on on the on your uppers and you're likely to run out of money and get into trouble or God forbid become insolvent, then you have to consider ratcheting back to a manageable level of business. In other words, however much you love a customer, if it takes them six months to pay you and that's going to make you bankrupt, then you don't really want to be dealing with them at the end of the day. So Well yeah, because the inflation picture that we've talked about will impact your input costs if you're manufacturing something. Pricing is another huge issue. We haven't we haven't talked about that, but I think one of the you know, as you know, I chair a few business groups here in Singapore, as you do. And um, one of the things that comes up constantly is I have to keep telling my customers that our prices are going up because our input costs are going up, you know, whether it's transport costs because of fuel or whether it's just an input input cost into our product or the cost of moving a container around, which has gone up by sort of 10 or something. That's a real issue because it really it undermines your credibility with a customer if you say, if you keep going back and saying, I'm terribly sorry, I'm going to have to charge you 10% more. Yes. And it puts you in a very, very difficult competitive situation because it's too easy for competitors to swallow a short-term loss of margin in order to take business from you. So it's likely to cause a lot of disruption in many markets as customers frantically try to look for ways of not paying more for what they get, you know. That's a very hard one. There are things There are things you can do. There are strategies that work. And obviously, as with all of this, and as we've said repeatedly, both on these podcasts and in, and in our book, Let the Cash Flow by Mark Raddy and Simon Littlewood, you need to be close to your customers. And the closer you are to your customers and the more you've shown that you care about their needs, the easier it's going to be for you to have these conversations. All right. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's take it down a gear because yeah. you're speaking so fast that I'm having trouble keeping up. Am I? So, so what, you can't, what you're saying is you can't, rock up to your customer and demand increases in your products or, or services prices, even though you're facing higher input costs. So you're saying, in essence, that in order to stave off a competitor undercutting you at this difficult time, 
you need to swallow that. No, and I'm not saying that. Uh, no, no, clearly you can't sustain losses. You have to maintain your margins. I'm saying, first of all, that in situations where that's inevitable, if you've managed your relationship with your customers appropriately and you've got a good level of understanding of their situation and the ability to talk to them honestly, and not everyone has, you'll be in a better position to deal with those price increases. Right. So so that means making a proactive service call, but not, not necessarily about the invoice. It must be about the pricing. Well, well, I mean, there's also quite a lot to be said about the way that you structure contracts. So if you have a product that is like a, in a specialty chemicals company, and we, I mean, you and I know quite a few, typically one of the main inputs to most specialty chemicals, because it's a downstream um, energy industry product, it's a hydrocarbon product, is the cost of oil. So if the cost of oil is going up or down or oscillating wildly, what you can do is you can structure your pricing contract with your customer to allow yourself latitude. So if certain parameters move, you know, say the cost of oil goes up more than 15% within a six-month period, you are then, by the terms of your contract, allowed to increase what you charge for transport or what you charge for specific inputs or, or whatever. So those kinds of things are not that uncommon, actually, in specialty chemicals. I'll give you another example. I work for a company in Australia. Australia is a big place, and sometimes things have to go an awfully long way by truck or by train. If you're sending stuff, let's say, from New South Wales to Western Australia, which some people have to do because they're, man- you know, which is, I don't know, what, 2,000 miles, 3,000 miles, a long way. It's a four-hour flight. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So, uh, you know, that's a massive amount of diesel in your truck. It's thousands of dollars worth of diesel. So, again, contracts, properly negotiated contracts, allow for there to be some variation in what you charge or even to have a fuel surcharge based on the current. Well, I was going to say, you know, because yeah. the airline industry solved that they problem do that, along yeah. with, uh, you know, with their ticket prices years ago. Years ago. So, but then again, you know, you, you would expect a transport company to offer it or to add a fuel surcharge because, after all, that's the core business to transport things. But if you're manufacturing chocolate bars and you're sending them around the country, a fuel surcharge might seem a little bit of a stretch. Well, you might want to separate out the cost of moving it around from the cost of the chocolate bar because I mean, it's important that your the customer is able to see the difference between what you're charging them for the product and what it's costing to move stuff around. Your customer is going to know. That these costs are going up and your competitors are going to know these costs. What I'm hearing from senior managers and companies is, is it's very hard to manage all this stuff. Given that you want to keep your customers happy and you want your business to grow, these are very tricky things to manage. You can't be so nice to customers. You can't be so compassionate to your customers that you go out of business in a desperate yes. effort <laughs> to provide them with products at yesterday's prices. You've got to find a way of having a, a daddy, con- you know, grown-up adult conversation Yes. Uh, with your customers. Yeah. So in other words, that, that customer intimacy that you talk about, what would, what might that sound like on the phone? Well, if it customer? doesn't already, ex- I mean, it's, well, you and I, you and I know this because you talked about it. First of all, it starts when you first set up the relationship. And it's very important that you have channels with your customer which go beyond simply taking orders and delivering. So in other words, the relationship with the customer, particularly if it's one of your big customers, 80-20 rule, 20% of your customers, 80% of your, so focus yeah. on them. Uh, and um, you, um have a level of intimacy with them, which is outside of the basic transactional relationship that you have. So you have multiple levels of relationships, starting with your CEO, because it's a critical customer, and going down further through the organization. So you have multiple points where you intersect with your customer and where you're able to find out what they're thinking and what their issues are. And one of the first things to do if you've got difficult news for a customer is, first of all, listen to what their difficult news is and see whether you can't do something to help them. So in other words, call them up and invite them for a cup of coffee to discuss how things are going. Except, right? and one of the general problems with collecting receivables and one of the huge difficulties with that approach is if you only 
phone them up to ask them for a coffee, you know, after the train has already left the station. <laughs> I mean, they know perfectly well that you're going to be wanting to charge them more money because they know what's going on and all, and all your competitors and all their other suppliers are having the same conversation with them. So the secret to having a good relationship is already to have had that relationship ahead of time, you know, so that you've identified potential volatility in some areas of price as a risk in the future. You've talked about ways that you can mitigate that with your customer. And, and there are a whole variety of ways, you know, as there are a whole variety of ways of dealing with, with cash flow difficulties, um, like helping them to find finance so they can meet their payments to you and, 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 and things like that. But if you wait till you've fallen off a cliff and you've got to increase your prices by 40% or go bust, uh, that's not a conversation that's very easy to have because you're never going to have a relaxed cup of coffee with them because the no. second you say, oh, hi, George. No, I haven't seen you for seven years. So would you, uh, <laughs> can we come around and have a nice cup of coffee? He's going to think, oh, yeah, right. Yes, what's going on here? So, That's unusual. So, yes. so make a list of your top customers and the ones that you want to keep and build nice relationships with them. You know, maybe invite a few of them together on some kind of event where you give them a round of golf or you give them a nice dinner and you say, you know, guys, this is what's going on in our, share some stuff with them that they'll find useful because they've got to communicate to their customers as well. And at the same time, look at the bottom end of your customers, the customers that are barely profitable, where maybe they can't continue to pay you or whether they can't absorb a price increase and think very hard about how, if at all, you want to do business with them. It's tough, but don't allow yourself to get sucked into a situation where you're continuing to do business with customers who can't really meet their financial obligations to you. And all of this news that we're talking about currently in the context of Australia, says that a significant percentage of companies are likely to suffer serious cash flow difficulty or go out of business. What's the number? We saw a number here. One in 10, 14% said their business was unable to survive a recession at all. One in three, 34%, expect their business to survive less than six months if the recession continues. So you, if, you, if you're doing business in Australia or with Australian companies, it's likely that a significant percentage of the companies that you're dealing with are fragile. Who are the fragile ones? Who are the ones you want to keep? How can you help the ones that you want to keep? How can you manage a sensible level of risk with the fragile ones? You know, Credit insurance could be one way, but you know, there are a variety. Bonus. There are lots of strategies. Yes, or Read find them. them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have, a, have a cup of coffee while you still can, while you can still afford While you can it. afford the coffee oh, dear, while they're oh, still dear. talking to you. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's on the on the pricing side. So it, it is kind of funny the advice you give, Simon. You know, if I was going there, I wouldn't start from here. Uh, that's um, like the famous Irish story. Yes, yes but um, well, uh, yeah, well, but to be fair, we've been saying that right from the beginning. You know, we I don't suddenly <laughs> say, "Oh, you should have done this." At the end of the day, we say our advice is from the very beginning of your relationship with your customer. This is the way that you need to manage the relationship. You know, mm. relationships as long as and I've had this. It's a very difficult conversation to have. You know, I, I sat in a room with a so-called head of marketing about um, a month ago, bless his cotton socks. And uh, I was trying to explain why of all the customers they're doing business with, they need to find ones where they can differentiate based on their product, based on service. He said, oh, well, no, it's all about price. I said, oh, and your title says you're the head of marketing. I mean, just to be clear, there's no job for a head of marketing if it's all about price. OK, <laughs> because what are you marketing exactly? What you're saying is my product is exactly the same as everybody else's. And unless I discount the hell out of it, no one's going to buy it. I mean, that's like, <laughs> apart from apart from being uh, a council of despair, which can only lead to you know progressive erosion and margins of bankruptcy, it's also wrong. You know, there are three ways you can differentiate price, product and service. OK, product and service. You can wrap the product in all sorts of bells and whistles. You can on service. 
you can provide a much higher level of service and intimacy than your competitor does, even if the product is anodyne, it can't be differentiated. So never, ever listen to that counsel of despair and try and find, try and push towards the customers where you can differentiate, because when it comes to having these difficult conversations, they're going to appreciate you more. They're going to be more loyal to you. They're going to want to leave you less than other customers where you have a purely generic relationship and they're just buying based on price. Mm-hmm. And no, you, nobody <laughs> wants to be in a, in a business where you're just selling based on price because apart from anything else, you know, they're going to get 10% of you. They're going to go down the road and get another 10%. You know? So everyone goes bankrupt together. We all win. <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh, dear. Look, all look, right. look, the sun's shining. You know, I, got, I got up this morning. I, I got out my e-bike and gave it a bit of a clean and attached a new mirror to it. And it's all very shiny, you know. And uh, it's, so it's a lovely day. Okay, we're all going to go bankrupt, but we're going to do it. The sun is going to shine. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, be- before you listen to Simon's <laughs> advice and get out your e-bike to give it a polish, um, <laughs> what about the, the, the question of talking to your bank manager? Because if you have a bank loan or a revolving credit facility of some sort, does going cap in hand to the bank manager and asking them for a discount carry any weight at all? Well, again, I wouldn't have started from here myself. Again, uh, the time to have that conversation is, is six months out where you Six months ago, something else we talk about in the book actually which is arrange a facility and don't necessarily draw down on it so that it's ready when something like this happens you know because if you go if, if you go to the bank and the bank sniffs out that you are anticipating trouble or that some of your customers may default um they're going to be very cautious indeed about lending you money and of course as you know it's standard practice for a bank lending money particularly if it's in some wise secured against the expectation of future payment against receivables will want to look very carefully about your customer base and see how solvent they are and how much money they owe you and you know so going to the bank manager might actually wake sleeping dogs as it were that that you might uh, be inadvertently flagging to them that you're facing trouble yes i mean banks famously want to lend you money when you don't need it and they want you to pay it back when you really need it uh, i mean that's right. uh, that's just the reality yeah it. That's, that's the reality of banks <laughs> Let's conclude then with a with a conversation around your suppliers coming to you mm-hmm. and having the conversations that we've spoken about over the last 15 minutes or so. In other words, you're doing all right. You've had that customer intimacy with your customers. You've had the opportunity to kind of walk them through what's going on and, and you didn't start today, you know. But then one of your suppliers, where you are the customer, comes to you and says, hey, you know, can you cut me some slack? I'm going to have to increase prices. Can you pay me faster, et cetera, et cetera. Now, doing so might very well make things uh, difficult for you. What should you do? Well, uh, you know, as far as suppliers are concerned, we believe at Riabu that whatever deal you struck with either a supplier or a customer on payment terms should be adhered to. Because that's what makes the world go round at the end of the day. Agreeing to something and then immediately doing something different is not helpful to anyone. If because of external circumstances that you can't control, you anticipate difficulties, then there are ways around that. First of all, if it's a good supplier and they are used to doing business with you and they want to do business with you, and particularly if they've got much deeper, let's say you're an SME and your supplier is, a, is, a, is an MNC, tell them honestly what's going on. And saying, well, you know, we want to stay with you, but if we're going to stay with you, we're going to need to have some softening on, uh, on on payment terms. For example, what they may do, and this is something I've been talking about to a number of people recently, is they may offer you some kind of supply chain finance, as it's euphemistically called, which means by borrowing money or, in effect, by discounting, they can get paid on time and you end up paying us a small fee. I can see a lot more of that happening in the near term. Because if the fee is relatively small, i.e. one or two percent, then and you and you provided you have a comfortable margin, the supplier has a comfortable margin, whatever product they're selling, 
then um, at the end of the day, it's going to be acceptable. Money comes in when you want it to come in and you, you take a slight hit on margin by getting a third party to fund it. Yeah. And in many cases where the supplier is a large company, the supplier, in effect, underwrites it. The supplier goes to the bank and says, I want you to provide credit to my customers. You know, I'm a solid bet up to a certain amount, you know, so that they can pay me on time. And those kinds of deals are being done a lot now. I think they, I think they make a lot of sense. If you're a large company and you've got the financial clout and you've got the relationship with your bankers and you don't want to make all your customers bankrupt, particularly the SME customers. Suppliers, you mean? You don't want to make your SME suppliers bankrupt? Yes. I'm sorry. Then um, you need to think about creative ways to do this, yeah? Let's turn the conversation around. So, so far we've talked about you are a supplier and you've had that customer intimacy with your customers to talk to them about the fact that you're under increasing pressure from input costs. You simply can't continue to supply your product or service at the previous prices. But what if you are the customer and your suppliers come to you and say, hey, you know, can you cut me some slack because it's costing me an awful lot of money in additional transport costs or, you know, wheat prices from the Ukraine have gone up or whatever the, the, the case uh, may be. How much do you kind of take a, a, a compassionate approach with your customers, with your again, suppliers and say, okay, fine, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll accept your price increase. How much do you give them? The both both on the supplier front and on the customer front, you need to think about who is core in terms of who your core suppliers are, who your core customers are. You need to be ready to be harsh with the ones who aren't core or where you have a clear alternative who aren't prepared to play ball. For the ones that are, you know, a substantial supplier, like if you're an SME and a supplier is an MNC, and they want to be paid on time, they are in a position, and we started to talk about this a minute ago, in effect to, un- to underwrite credit. So you can take the invoice that they have sent to you, your supplier, and you can't pay it now, but you can potentially pay it in two months. If they want it paid earlier, then the difference can be, it can in effect be discounted, which means that, a, means that a third party pays the invoice and charges you a carrying cost for the time between when they pay it and when you would normally have paid it anyway. if that makes sense. By the way, this kind of practice has been widespread in parts of Asia, particularly in the past where interest rates have been very low. For example, I've known many companies who in China discounted 70 or 80% of their invoices on the customer side. But similarly, there were suppliers to customers, obviously, because interest rates were no more than half or 1%. So you could effectively take an item that you knew was going to be paid in two months from a blue chip company so it was going to be paid take it to the bank and say okay i want you to pay me now and the bank would say that's fine we're going to charge you one and a half percent or whatever it is off so you only get 90 you get 98 and a half percent of the value of the invoice and the bank takes the difference as, a, as an interest payment if that makes sense i think we're going to see lots more of that going on like so many things of this nature and we've talked about this has come up a couple of times in this in this conversation ideally you get these arrangements in place before things become a problem because if things are a problem like you're you know you're under pressure to pay a supplier. You need the you need the stuff that the supplier is supplying you with, or you, your business doesn't work. And you then start to look for alternative sources of funding and finance. It's very difficult to bring that kind of thing off quickly. It's likely to take months, even under the best of circumstances. So look ahead. Look at who your most friendly and largest suppliers are, and talk to them. Talk to them about the fact that you are under cash flow pressure. Can they help you? If they say, "Well, it's difficult for us," you say, "Well." Can you at least use your relationships with financial institutions because you are, for example, a multi-billion dollar enterprise and secure a line of credit that will enable enable us to fund the difference? You know, so we can pay you on time, pay a small interest rate. Um, you get paid, you remain whole, you're able to supply us, you know, that kind of conversation. I think that's a legitimate 
thing as, unless the uh, unless the um, interest rates of course are penal and there's no, no there's no interest no one has any interest in doing that so i think that's supply chain finance is very important but you know relationship you should pay your supplier when you've agreed to pay your supplier first if you can't be open and honest about it and ask what they can do for you if they can't do anything then think about using a third party to help you on that note, start a relationship with us, drop us a note, service at riabu.com and uh, let us know how you're faring, especially as interest rates are rising, inflation is up, and, uh, well, in many parts of the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. We wish you the very best of success in these current times. Share your stories with us, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you.